JG Nanda. Let's start with the Noka Mantra. Namo Arihantanam, Namo Sitanam, Namo Ayayanam, Namo Ujjayanam, Namo Lue Sarasanam, Esu Panchanamukaro, Sava Pava Panasana, Mangalana Chasavesi, Paramam Harve Mangala. Science has proven Jainism right about many things. And today I'd like to share and discuss the latest way that science has proven Jainism right yet again. But before we get there, we have to discuss some background items so we can understand the revelation properly. How you doing? Good. The first thing we need to review is that you are a soul. An epiphany I had in this very class is that many of us don't believe we are souls. As such, the number one way you can change your life is to start acting like you're a soul and keep on faking it until you make it. As you continue to fake it, you'll come to realize you are a soul and that is indeed the truth and you won't have to fake it anymore. Has anybody ever here faked it till they make it? Not as far as the soul, but in some other thing. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, you have? How so? <laughs> Just, you know, like when you're, when you're unhappy or like upset, but like yeah. keep yourself smiling until right. you make it and you right. start getting yeah. happier. Exactly. Or, yeah, I think that, I haven't heard it, other I just don't know. Yeah. And we do it with our kids all the time, right? Okay. <laughs> but like tons of examples. Yeah, exactly. What do you mean? Like fake you fake excitement knowing something? Or, oh, okay. Or whatever. Just you fake uh, excitement. I mean, kids are into some sports and they need a coach. So I coach. I have no idea how to coach the sport. I'm right. Like, After authoritative, <laughs> and then go look it up later. Right. <laughs> By week four, I'm like, okay, now I know some drills. You know. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if you do that here, if you fake going through your life as if you're a soul. And you make decisions as if you're a soul instead of a body. You're not a human being, okay? You're a soul. If you make decisions like that, you'll start to notice little things that are similar to how you uh, notice that, oh, the anger passes when I fake being happy. Or, oh, if I fake being a good coach at this sport, I will start to become good at this sport. Mm -hmm. You'll notice things and you'll start to realize you'll start to confirm that it is indeed the truth you are a soul. So as long as you keep faking it, uh, that's one way to kind of get in the back door. If anybody wanted a shortcut to believing you're a soul, that is it. So science has confirmed you're a soul. This is not what we're talking about today. This is not the revelation today, but we need one of the things that Jainism has confirmed, science has confirmed, is that you are a soul. Uh, there are three pieces of evidence that your soul exists, that you are a soul. The first is the hard problem of consciousness. Does anybody know what the hard problem of consciousness is? The hard problem of consciousness is how does matter give rise to experience? That is, how do the atoms in our brain, a particular arrangement of pretty common materials you can find here on Earth, how does that give rise to subjectivity or what scientists call qualia, that is, an experience? As long as there is no, there's no answer. Science has not found an answer to the hard problem of consciousness because the answer is the soul. 
Okay, so as long as the hard problem of consciousness exists, that's one piece of evidence that we are a soul because our soul gives life to our body. The second piece is that awareness is different from thoughts. This is one of the first epiphanies that you have in meditation. And the third piece is that experienced meditators have tapped into bliss. And that bliss was predicted by Jainism as a characteristic of the soul. Who remembers what the characteristics of the soul are? Infinite knowledge. Infinite, Infinite knowledge. knowledge. Infinite bliss, infinite knowledge. Infinite energy. Right. So, experienced meditators have tapped into this infinite bliss that was predicted by Jainism. So, those are the three pieces of evidence that the soul exists. How else has science confirmed Jainism? Does anybody know any other examples? I think the living beings, like single cell uh, organisms, mm -hmm. Jainism also says that, and I think science has proven that time and again from amoeba to any five sense living being like animals or human beings. So right. That, that and this is not even recent, right? It doesn't have to be recent. Jainism has talked about one sense, two sense, three sense, four sense, and five sense being. Way before the microscope was invented, right? Correct. Way before we knew there was such a thing as germ theory, right? Mm -hmm. So, correct. Science has proven Jainism right in that respect. Other examples? How about just from a dietary, nutritional, vegetarian perspective? Um, you know, just a, a way of eating and living and nutrition. Um, just it's evolved in um, probably an advantageous way um, for us to live and eat properly. Um, I think that uh, you know a lot of these studies for nutrition are vegan, vegetarian based, and right. how that has improved different quality of life parameters that we look at. And so I think that's probably um, another avenue. Absolutely. The fact that your quality of life increases when you practice Jainism, and one of the ways we practice Jainism is by practicing a vegetarian diet. And science has confirmed that your quality of life increases when you practice the vegetarian diet. So one example of that, um, uh, they've looked at, they doing Parishan fasting studies, mm -hmm. and they've actually looked at, they found patients from a Jain temple enrolled them and looked at what are some of the metabolic things that happen during fasts mm -hmm. and why do people do it and what are the benefits so that's actually a science you know proven kind of um, adventure <laughs> into you know seeing what are the benefits of fasting so it's actually pretty cool absolutely i always laugh when people say oh oh you missed a meal that's so unhealthy you know you shouldn't miss a meal i always laugh i say i know people who haven't eaten in 14 days right. like, what are you talking about <laughs> missing a meal is unhealthy you know like people get really concerned yeah. like, if they miss a meal <laughs> have you seen the documentary on the i think netflix or somewhere uh russia and germany there are some some locations where they have special centers 
on the trip with the fasting. Oh yeah. And there is a research shows <clears throat> if you fast before chemo, the chemo side effect is less compared to without the fasting. Yeah, that's great. So some California senator went through the uh, went through the chemotherapy, and she said like she did a couple of chemotherapy and she had a lot of side effects she talked to her doctor her doctor said like i wouldn't recommend but sure call she did it uh, one time with fasting before and then did the chemo side effects were very less mm-hmm. then again doctor doctor convinced her not to and the next one again too much of side effects but then again she started with the fasting that's great that's amazing really there are fasting centers in california too Okay. And uh, one of the persons who was running it was at the Jaina conference. It was not this last one, but maybe a couple of years before that. And we, we went, sat in that session. She's saying it was a doctor, some white guy. And he's like, I run the center. And we have people come in and do like six days fast. And we monitor them. And they stay in and or, or 10 days fast. And I'm like, yeah, people do that every year at <laughs> every Jane center in America. But fine, go to the doctor and have him monitor you, you know? So, they they do say like when you fast the cancer cells and all dies so you the last chances of having cancer and things like that. Well, the the nutrition actually feeds tumor, geni- you know, like the yeah. tumor cell growth. So that's it makes sense in principle why you should fast because that actually probably reduces it and probably inflammation as well. Hi, JD Nuno. It's okay, right? Of course. Thanks for coming today. Today I wanted to share with you. And the latest way that science has confirmed Jainism, but we're going through some background material first. First, we're proving to ourselves that we are a soul. Next, we talked about how else science has confirmed Jainism. Uh, science have provided, has provided evidence that decisions are made before we're consciously aware of them. You probably know that decisions you make are instantaneous. They're almost like a gut reaction. But you probably are not aware of how exactly how fast they are. Um, That is, a person has been in a room and he's been hooked up with sensors and scientists have been able to predict that that person will move milliseconds before they made the decision to move, before they made the decision to get up and go get a magazine. That is, scientists have predicted based on the sensory information that they received that that person will do that. Uh, science has also predict. Um, science has also, has also proven that our brain confabulates reasons we do things. That decisions that have already been made, we retroactively rationalize. Mm-hmm. And this has been proven in split the brain experiments, where somebody's left brain doesn't talk to their right brain. So what this experiment has done is they have instructed the left brain to get up and to go to the kitchen. And then the person gets up and goes to the kitchen. And then they query the right brain and they say, why have you come to the kitchen? And the right brain doesn't know. And the right brain confabulated a reason that said, oh, I came here to get a Coke. That wasn't the reason at all. The reason was because the person was instructed to go to the kitchen. But the brain confabulates reasons retroactively to the decision that's already made. 
Okay? So this forms the basis of the argument against free will. That is, that you don't have free will. And it also supports karma theory to some extent. Okay? So science has proven many things right about Jainism. And before we get to the revelation, we got to talk about one other thing in the background. We got to talk about Anikadva. Does anybody remember what Anikadva is? Yes. Multiplicity of viewpoints. That's exactly right. Multiple viewpoints can be true simultaneously. Who knows the story of the blind men and the elephants? Somebody tell it to me. There's a villager called the blind people. One guy bought the elephant and asked them to kill the elephant to learn about elephants. So everybody grabbed different part of elephant and then they realized, oh, one says, big pole, no, 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 this is a thread pole. Uh, no, this is a super this is that. Everybody kind of interpreted the same elephant instead of the, looking at the whole truth. Their own angle of view. Right. So, hey, come on in. So, who are we in the story? We are the blind people. We are the blind people. <laughs> and what is the elephant? Everybody is the truth that our Tithankar knows. The truth, right? So, there are multiple ways of looking at the truth, and everybody is correct in their interpretation. Uh, the first thing we need to understand is the limitation of language, okay? Just like the blind person, there's no way I can adequately describe an experience that I have to you, okay? Um, that is, there's always some information loss between experience and description. Even if I were to hook you up to a VR machine and somehow magically make it so that you could taste, smell, and hear as well, not only just... Uh, or feel, I mean, as well. Not only just hear and see. Our experience wouldn't match because your interpretation is from the inputs of your senses. Your interpretation of the event will be different than mine. So, Anikanfad is one of the most misunderstood concepts in Jainism. People seem to think that Anikanfad means everybody's right and everybody's viewpoint is valid. That's not true at all, okay? The truth is contained in this book. There are such a thing as wrong beliefs, wrong actions, and wrong thoughts. There are things that are wrong, okay? Anikantha doesn't mean we have to keep an open mind to things that are false. It just means we have to realize that people's view of the truth might be true. So how can two opposite things be true at the same time? Right. We call that a reference frame or viewpoint, right? So, for example, it depends on where you are on the spiritual path, dep will depend on what advice I will give you, right? For my child, I will say, do as much punya as you can, right? And for somebody else, an adult, I will say, don't do as much punya as you can, do as much nirdra as you can. In fact, it is harmful to you to do punya, right? We all know that, right? Because it is harmful for you to attract karma, even if it's good karma. And so these two opposite things can be true at once. That is, do punya and don't do punya. How you doing? Good, how are you? Thanks for everybody who's coming in.
We're talking about the latest way science has confirmed Jainism. But before that, we're talking about two background materials. That is, we talked about the soul and how we are a soul and how our life would be much better if we made decisions as if we're a soul. We talked about how science has confirmed many aspects of Jainism already. And now we're talking about Anikantva. That is, seemingly opposite statements can be true at the same time, depending upon your reference frame. Uh, I've been doing a lot of talking. My job is not to talk. Questions or comments about that? Okay, so Anikantvad is in the book. It is three chapters in the book. And if the beginning chapters are grade school, you know, like Punya and Pap and Nirdra and Samvar and Ashrav, then Anikantvad is definitely college. Okay? I think that somebody different wrote these sections <laughs> of the book because it's like everything's like really easy and you can understand it and it's written at one level and these three chapters are written at a very high level okay and so this is definitely the college i mean the book says things in like the soul is eternal as well as changing okay seemingly opposite statements that are true all statements are true from their own perspective because of our inability to know a substance as a whole, we cannot have complete knowledge of a substance. So when you're ready, if you have been a little bit bored in class lately, or if you have been a little bit uh, mad about how slow we go, then skip to these chapters. And you'll have to put together a lot of things, a lot of your knowledge to try to understand these chapters of the book. They're just called Anikantvad 1, Anikantvad 2, and Anikantvad 3. Okay, so now that we talked about our soul and Anikantva, I'd like to tell you the latest way that science has confirmed Jainism. Dr. Becky Kennedy has written in a parenting book called Good Inside. This idea of multiplicity, the ability to accept multiple realities at once is critical to healthy relationships. When there are two people in a room, there are also two sets of feelings, thoughts, needs, and perspectives. Our ability to hold on to multiple truths at once, ours and someone else's, allows two people in a relationship to feel seen and feel real, even if they are in conflict. Multiplicity is what allows two people to get along and feel close. They each know that their experience will be accepted as true and explored as important, even if those experiences are different. Building strong connections relies on the assumption that no one is right in the absolute. Because understanding, not convincing, is what makes people feel secure in a relationship. Do you believe that? That is amazing. This lesson could have come out of any Jain textbook. This passage could have been fit right at home in our textbook. And presumably, this, this clinical psychologist has no knowledge of Jainism. I don't know. Uh, probably not, right? Questions or comments about that? In the, uh, I don't know if you were old enough then, but in the 90s, the young Jain group that uh, I was part of, we did a parent youth uh, conference, let's call it a few hours, 
all the adults and then the Jane Fellowship age kids, you know, teenagers basically. And the whole subject of that day was Anakantara. And they had all these discussions. And that time it was, you know, mostly kids were being raised in America, parents coming from India. So there were very different viewpoints, frame of reference for what it was to be a child in, in, the, in, in this environment. And uh, that was a, a really, really uh, a deep session for like several hours. Nobody wanted to stop talking because it was like a open, open mic system and talk about why this person is looking at the same issue differently. And, it was a pretty eye-opening uh, conversation for hours. That's great. Other comments? Has anybody found this to be true in their life? Tim, if you're if one person is understanding and the other person isn't, aren't you convincing the other person? What's the opposite of understanding? <laughs> I don't know. For I'm just this, asking. I'm just talking. For this argument's sake, it is convincing. Yeah. <laughs> convincing is the attempt to prove a singular reality, to prove that only one thing is true. Mm. Convincing is an attempt to be right, and as a result, make the other person wrong. Mm. It rests on the assumption that there is only one correct viewpoint. <laughs> Obviously. When we seek to convince someone, we essentially say, you're wrong. You're misperceiving, misremembering, misfeeling, misexperiencing. Let me explain to you why I am correct, and you'll see the light and come around. Convincing has only one goal in mind, being right. And here's the unfortunate consequence of being right. The other person feels unseen and unheard, at which point most people become infuriated and combative, because it feels as if the other person does not accept your realness or worth. Feeling unseen and unheard makes connection impossible. So Nick's question leads right to the answer straight out of this doctor's mouth. <laughs> and that says that not practicing anekantvad leads to violence. Ooh. End of story. I think going back to his point, what if you follow anekantvad but the person who is a part of the discussion doesn't? That's then that will lead to violence. That's that's why it says that you have to be more understanding. That's what that says. That's exactly what that says, right? That Absolutely. says that you have to be more understanding. And what you are describing is an unfortunate reality in that it only takes one party to make war, not two, right? It takes two parties to have a war, but it only takes one party to make war. And sure, that is re a reality. But that means that party's karma will attach to that party's soul, not our soul. And uh, if you needed a little more uh, clarification, violence stemming from self-defense attracts far, far less karma than intentional violence against someone else. So self-defense is a legal defense in Jainism, <laughs> as far as that goes. Is Mon a part of understanding? What is Mon? Uh, not speaking or holding back. Or you it Absolutely, of course. That's one of the best tools in our toolbox to practice Anikantva. This is getting harder. <laughs> <laughs> When we approach someone with the goal of understanding, 
we accept that there isn't one correct interpretation of a set of facts. This is still the doctor speaking, okay? But rather multiple experiences and multiple viewpoints. Understanding has one goal, connection. And because connecting to our kids is how they learn to regulate their emotions and feel good inside, understanding will come up over and over again as a goal of communication. Another passage that could come right out of any Jane textbook. And if our textbook written, have wrote the chapter of Anikantha like this, we'd all understand it a little better. <laughs> Questions or comments? So other way it says that time to time you don't have to be right. So you choose between you want to be right, you want to be happy. It seems like that. You never have to be right. In what situation saying, do you have to be right? No, no, I'm, I'm saying that that's <laughs> what is implied that you always want to choose happiness over you being right. You always want to, as far as the parenting side of this, yeah. You always want to choose connection over your children. Multiple things can be true simultaneously. You can enforce, you can say, hey, screen time is over. And they're allowed to be upset about it. And you connect with your child emotionally and say, I know you're upset. It sucks when screen time is over. I too like to play on my phone. I get upset when I have to do work. I understand. <laughs> you can enforce a boundary and also empathize with your child as far as the pain they're experiencing. Because your viewpoint is correct, screen time is over, and the child's viewpoint is correct. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and if, and a lot of times we, instead of what the book says is, instead of connecting with the child and empathizing with the child, we say, we start to give excuses like, you've been on your iPad for an hour already. We start to argue with them, be combative with them, or, you're not watching anything important anyway. Or we'll have some more tomorrow. Or we'll have some more screen time later today. Those are all wrong. What's wrong is that your ch what's correct is your child's viewpoint. I'm experiencing pain. <laughs> Isn't there a difference in understanding versus teaching? Because like that could be part of teaching, right? Like, hey, this is what we want you to do and this is wrong. Right. Certainly the two are correlated and one dovetails into another. And uh, there can be understanding without teaching, but we're teaching our child, children all the time. Right. And so, at, because... So like if you took away that iPod or uh, iPhone or whatever, right? Who's understanding that? <laughs> like you're, you're understanding the pain of your child. And by doing that, you're you, modeling good behavior for your children. You're creating the pain. For your job. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. okay, I just want to make sure that we're the same. <laughs> yeah, but it is more pain if you do it the wrong way. I see. Okay. Yeah. It's the pain for the greater good. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's greater good there, I think. Well, we had an hour screen time. Has anybody, how can we implement Anikantfad in our life? I am not interested in meeting here every Sunday and every when we go out and we go have lunch 
everything washes out of our head and we don't change our life and we don't do anything. I'm interested in increasing the quality of your life right now. Not in your next life, not in some theoretical future where you get to moksha. I'm interested in developing strategies to increase the quality of life right now using Jainism. That is using Jainism to increase the quality of your life, your current life. So how can we implement Anikantva in our lives? How can you do it in your life? I'll give you an example. Um, I have a floor manager that comes up with a... I tell him to do something, right? And it's my viewpoint. And I've realized this a couple of years ago with my old boss. He always listened to me. And somehow the way he spoke to me, I did what he wanted to do. <laughs> I did it. Yeah. And I started implementing that okay. at home. And <laughs> at home? No, it doesn't work at home. That's a different story. That was my question. How do I implement at home? It's easy to implement at work than at home. Uh, tell, you, tell your boss to come home. Yeah, right? <laughs> now, my, now I am my own boss. I'm implementing what he taught me. Um, but uh, fast forward, um, now I understand and I listen and then make reasoning out of it and sometimes what they see on the floor is absolutely correct than what me sitting in the office and making decisions right um, that that's an eye-opener um, so that's how I implemented work but at home I don't know what happens it just doesn't work and it's easier I think with the younger child I have 11 year old mm -hmm. oh man Anything, whether you want to empathize with him or argue with him, it's a, it's like a competition. Right. It is like, like this morning he wants to, and this is what I did, like you mentioned, you know what, he wants to listen to the song, we'll play the song. Now he wants to watch. <laughs> while brushing, while showering, mm -hmm. like, Krish, there has to be like, you want to listen? I'm okay. You know, let's listen. No, daddy, I'm not watching. I'm, I'm looking at you are watching like I don't know <laughs> no, I had to I got upset and I just turned it off right and the, then it just went down and I realized right. it that me doing that action is just going this way but like you know, somebody mentioned about discipline right you have to step into the dad's role and you want to say you know what this is enough right so but with the younger one for some odd reason I can reason it out or maybe you know he'll throw a tantrum for a minute or two but he's okay right but 11 year old <laughs> does anybody have any help for kids or? nope <laughs> <laughs> just deal with your problem, <laughs> problem. start watching what you like huh? <laughs> start watching what you like <laughs> I think it's just a phase they'll go through it okay rebellion phase you know and then they want to make their own decisions. Right. Yeah. At some points you can let them, and sometimes you can't. Uh, at, some, at some points you have these kind of rules like, hey, no watching while you're getting exactly. ready, you gotta go. But the thing that you'd like to do is sit down and say, why do you think I'm asking you to do this? What's the reason behind it? But when you're in a rush, you can't have that conversation, right? You're getting ready to go at the bachelor. So later on you go back and say, listen, we had this argument about you watching while you're trying to get ready there's a reason I'm doing this let me explain you my reason and uh, tell me why you think it's not 
you can, you can handle it otherwise, but sometimes you can't have that conversation when the rush is happening. And that's what happened this morning is, around 8.30, this happened, 9 o'clock at the breakfast table, I had the same conversation, like, Krish, you know, we have to be at Mandir at 10. Like, yes, daddy, I understand. He understands everything. But again, tomorrow, 8 o'clock, same story. He's very understanding. Huh? He knows I'm in I think it's a... Uh, Eight out of ten times, the kids you will be able to convey something when they have, right? So, like you said, that time probably will never be the time. But when they're happy, you have to remember who right. I introduced this topic yeah. right. and convey it. I think more thing is, I'm not saying this going to be convinced, but right. at least you will be able to pass on your message. The problem is, is that you are not understanding your child's viewpoint enough. When you reach out to them and validate their experience, then they will, you will have that connection capital where the child will understand and do what you say. So for example, you might say, I understand, you still have the boundary, that is, you can't watch TV when you're getting ready. And you say, oh, I understand that you want to do that. I also want to do that. You know, I understand that it sucks. You're allowed to be upset that it, you're allowed to be upset. And then as you do that, a lot of times we just, when we say that we want a particular action to happen, we actually don't want that action to happen because that actually won't make us happy. We just want somebody else to know what we're going through and understand that we are unhappy. And that will resolve those negative emotions even if the action isn't performed. And that's what's going on with your child. And that's how Anikanfad can help you. That is, when you relay the story to me, I put myself in the position of Krish. And there was no, it's just one way. It's just you do what I say. There was no dad is doing what I say. There's no dad is understanding how I feel. But, this, but you could have told him yesterday, but that has nothing to do with today. <laughs> no, but this morning it started where daddy, and he knows, Sheetal hates early morning music. She told me, daddy, can I borrow your phone? I know, why is he borrowing my phone? Yeah. Okay. Can I play music? Okay. So, was that not understanding? Mm-hmm. No, that was understanding. Okay. Um, because, but when you have... I'm, t- I'm telling you, in the interaction right, okay. of getting the child to do what you want, you need to practice looking at things from Krish's point of view. And from Krish's point of view, nothing that you said yesterday is applicable today. Right. Nothing that, um, nothing about another person's feelings are applicable to him because a child simply cannot understand what a parent's feelings are or are going through, right? That is, you need to come to him and validate his emotions, validate his experiences. And at that time, he would be more willing to listen to what you say. So, do you mind explaining it in practical, like practice? Sure. How, how would this would have been different? Let's say you are Kinjal and I'm Krish. Okay. How would you have taken care of this situation? Sure. I understand you want to watch the iPad. Unfortunately, we can't do it. We have to get ready to go. And it sucks. You're allowed to be upset about it. I know it makes you cry. I often think of things that make me cry. And I, you often see me on my phone and I don't want to get off my phone because I feel like I'm doing something important. 
And I understand you like this show. You're doing something important. But now it's time to get ready. And you're allowed to have those feelings. And let's talk about that as we get ready. That is what the book says to me. Has anybody tried something like this and has it worked? I can tell you that I've tried it and uh, it has worked. We have eliminated, we used to have reward uh, clip system. It's kind of like a sticker chart, right? Where you get enough stickers and they get a reward. Well, that's wrong. This book says that's all wrong. And it is, I've come to understand that it is because it's external validation. And we don't want to teach our kids to be externally validated. We want to teach our kids and ourselves to be internally validated. Does anybody know what the difference is? External validation is using a reward, is that you do something because you're going to get a reward. And if we teach our children that, that's wrong. Okay, because we shouldn't do things because we want to get a reward. We should do things because we feel good about doing them. And we want to do them because we want to feel good. That is internal validation. That is, a happiness is coming from inside of us, which we all know is the only place happiness can come from. Happiness will never come from an external source. But yet this sticker chart is reinforcing that happiness does come from an external source, which is not true. But Tim, isn't that the society we're in? Right? Like, the kids go to school. They have that sticker chart at school. They have all of these, you know, grading system, point system, you know, for all of that, right? To be number one or to be better or to be the best or whichever way you want to go look at that. Isn't that validation for them externally that allows them to be internally confident? No. It is validation for them. And you're right that society is against us because society believes in external validation. But just because society says it doesn't mean it's right. In fact, it probably means it's wrong. That is, we want to have ourselves be internal, run on a system of internal validation, and we want to teach our kids to run on a system of internal validation. That is, we clean our room because we feel good doing it. Not because, Not because I get $10 every time I clean my room. Because guess what happens? When they grow up and the $10 isn't there anymore, are they going to clean their room? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So when the sticker chart goes away, when they're too old to care about stickers, have we taught them to do anything? No. We've taught them to do nothing by themselves. And a lot of adults have this problem too. Why do you do things? Do you do things because they feel good inside of you? Or do you do things for other reasons? Here's the doctor again. Our ability to experience many seemingly oppositional thoughts and feelings at once, to know you can experience several truths simultaneously, is key to our mental health. Psychologist Philip Bloomberg may have said it best. Health is the ability to stand in spaces between realities without losing any of them. The capacity to, f the capacity to feel like oneself while being many. We are at our best when we notice multiple feelings, thoughts, urges, and sensations inside of us without any of them becoming us. When we can locate ourselves amidst a sea of experiences. For example, I notice a part of me is feeling nervous and a part of me is feeling excited. Or, 
I notice a part of me wants to scream at my kids and a part of me wants to take a deep breath. In other words, we are our healthiest selves when we can see that two or more things are true. Doesn't that sound like you're a soul? When we can locate ourselves amid a sea of experiences, doesn't that sound like what we talked about? About how we're a soul that receives many inputs and if I give you the same inputs, you won't have the same experience because you are a soul that's different from mine. Questions or comments? How can you implement Anikanthvad now that you know it's true? Now that, in, if, if, if the book didn't convince you it's true, and if you believe in science, now that science has convinced you Anikanthvad is true, how will you change your life? Now that we know that not practicing Anikanva leads to violence, now that we know that if we fake we're a soul and make decisions as if we were a soul and make decisions as if Anikanva were real, we will increase the quality of our life. What are we going to do to change our life? It doesn't have to be big. We talked about big ideas. You could, it could be something small. In fact, probably be better to be something small when you start out. Applicability is vast, right? Every interaction with everybody you ever deal with is almost a debate or exchange of uh, trying to get somebody to do something, right? So, right. So even treating a conversation with your wife, I want to go here, I want to go there, as opposed, it's not a set of facts, it's a set of opinions. Right. Here's what I feel. What do you feel? Here's what I feel. Here's what you feel. Let's let's see which one we can we can we can you know agree on. <laughs> right. Where there's not a there's not a reality, you know. And guess what? It is exhausting, okay? When you start out, it's exhausting. If I were to take that example, and I were to do that, not just about the iPad, but about brushing teeth, and about going to school, it is so exhausting at first, okay? But it gets easier, all right? It's exhausting talking about your feelings. It's exhausting taking other people's feelings into account. It's exhausting making decisions if we have a family of four based on four people's opinions. It's easy to say, I'm the boss, this is how I do it, this is what we're gonna do. But guess what? That only works a certain number of times and up to a certain age. And after that, your children have a choice whether they want to be a part of your lives or not. And guess what they're going to decide if you do that often enough. But it's worth it. It's exhausting at first, but it gets easier. And it's worth going through that exhaustion at the beginning. I'm not talking about a theoretical person's life. I'm talking about your life right now. A lot of you are stuck... A lot of you are looking like, oh, I wonder how I could say something about this topic. But say something about your life. <clears throat> I think it's going to take, it takes extra effort to go and change that mindset to go, you know, to go implement this, right? You know? 
And so, and it's different when you're talking to maybe your kids versus when you're talking to your spouse, right? You know, and how you how you understand it. This is the right way to put it. I, I think it's even harder. Sorry, I think it's even harder because we've done it incorrect for so long that we're trying to make it correct. If it was something new, then maybe you know it's different. But right, like Derek's, my kids know exactly what I'm going to say before I say it, <laughs> and I know what they're going to say. Like Dad, you don't get it. Okay, make me understand, Dad. I don't have time to go explain to you. All this, right? Like I already know this conversation yeah. is going down the wrong. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that surprised me, in a good way, about practicing Anikanfad and practicing what Dr. Kennedy preaches is that there's no rewards and no punishments. Can you believe that? There's no timeouts, there's no sticker charts, there's no money, there's no let's go out to eat. There's no rewards and no punishments. Because all of that, remember, Rewards are external validations, but punishment is also external mm -hmm. validation. Okay? They shouldn't be doing bad things because it makes them feel bad inside. That is the motivation mm -hmm. not to do bad things. Not that they will be punished for it. Yeah, but like, if he took away the iPad this morning, his son feels like he's punished, right? Although, he's not punishing him, he's just taking it away. I'm talking about a different kind of punishment. Yeah, certainly he feels like he's punishment. But I'm, I'm talking about, oh, you did this, so now your punishment is your no screen time. You're grounded. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So there's no rewards and there's no punishment. That is pretty radical. But it works. And it makes you feel better. And it's better for you. Because you decrease the violence in your life. And it makes you feel better. I mean, none of us like giving punishments, right? We want our kids to do the things, to not do things because they're, they shouldn't do them. Not because they shouldn't be punished. So the amazing thing about science confirming Anikantvat is not that Anikantvat exists, okay? Anikantvat has is as old as the saying, walk in another man's shoes, okay? The amazing thing we're talking about today is that science has confirmed that practicing Anikantvat leads to increases in the quality of your life right now. It leads to better relationships. It leads to less ashrav, which is the influx of karma. It leads to less violence, which is himsa. It helps you practice ahimsa. It is now scientifically proven that practicing Anikantvad leads to an increase in the quality of your life right now. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.